0: this morning we are beginning a new series on the book of jonah and this book starts out with a bang it starts out with a chase scene i don't know about you but i i really like chase scenes in movies i think one of my favorite kinds is the one where it's super close and the hero almost gets caught but then suddenly miraculously gets away i like the born movies for that kind of thing where they just super exciting as they drive through the city and the cops are everywhere and they're trying to avoid them and the car's getting banged up and eventually they make it out i like the kind of chase scenes like in mission impossible where often the the hero is mistaken for the traitor and the the good guys are actually pursuing the hero but it turns out he's got to also pursue the traitor and at the same time avoid these guys and it's just Exciting because you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know how is the hero going to get away? How is the hero going to come out on top? I like these because the hero wins And the bad guys are always caught and I like them because I tend to identify with the hero, right? Like in the in in these if I picture myself in a chase I'm clearly the one in the right being pursued by bad guys And i'm going to get away because the hero always wins, right? chase scenes are less exciting if you identify with the bad guy. If you identify with the one who is being chased, who is inevitably going to be caught and have to face the consequences of his treachery. I don't often think about how the bad guys feel about these chase sequences in movies. But I think it's worth thinking about because here in the book of Jonah, we have a chase scene And yet the one we ought to identify with, the one that we are like, is not the hero who is pursuing the bad guy, but it's the traitor who's running from the hero. In this story, Jonah is not the hero. Jonah is actually the traitor, the rebel, and God himself is the hero pursuing Jonah, and he's going to catch him. In this story, identifying with Jonah, the rebel, is going to teach us something about what it looks like to rebel against God and about how God responds to our rebellion. In this story, we have a two-verse setup, and then Jonah's on the run. And so, in light of that way the scripture starts this book of Jonah, that's how we're going to start. We're just going to dive right in and join Jonah on the run and find out what happens. We see in the first 3 verses this setup and then Jonah run and we learn in these 3 verses that rebels always run from God. We learn that rebels always run from God. Look what happens at the very beginning. The word of the Lord comes. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying arise go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. It just Starts boom like that. We're not giving any information about who Jonah is. We know from the book of Second Kings that Jonah was already a prophet in Israel under the evil king Jeroboam. That during this time, Jonah prophesied good things for Israel. He prophesied that because Assyria was so busy with foreign enemies, the borders of Israel were going to be able to expand. And so Jonah went and told this good news to Israel and said, hey, God's going to rescue you From the bitterness of your affliction. Even though you have an evil king, Jeroboam. Who does evil beyond evil. God is still going to be gracious to you. So Jonah was no no stranger to the word of the Lord. But here a strange word from the Lord comes to the prophet. A word that says arise and go. Which would be normal. But the destination is strange. Arise and go to Nineveh. It's strange because... Typically, when God called his people to prophesy, to 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 cry out something to his people, to to declare his word, they called God called these people to Israel or to Judah, the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom of the people of Israel. Even when God called them to prophesy against a foreign nation, which he often did to prophesy against Edom or Moab or to prophesy against Egypt or Assyria or Babylonia. Whenever he did that, it was always say these things to the people of Israel prophesy against these foreign powers that are oppressing you so that you can assure God's people that, hey, justice will be done. But here God does something so different. It's easy for us to miss it because we're not necessarily used to God calling prophets to do something. But in the Old Testament, it is so weird. God says, arise and go to Nineveh, go to this foreign land. And call out against them. Prophesy against them that my judgment is coming. This is a strange calling because Nineveh is a foreign place. And it's a strange calling because Nineveh is a horrible terrorist city. Nineveh is, is equivalent to like modern day ISIS. They used to do things like cut every limb except for one off their opponents. So that they could shake the hand of who they conquered while they died. Or they used to they used to set up their their heads as Piles in in, in a pyramid and decorate their halls with the heads of their enemies these were brutal people And god said i've seen their brutality their evil He says in verse 2 their evil has come up before me And so I want you to go and I want you to call out against them Imagine being sent into the middle Of a city like that and saying god the god of the universe calls you to repent of this evil and wickedness God calls you not to do that anymore That's a scary calling. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and Jonah hears this word. And what we expect, what is typical for God's prophets to do in the Old Testament is to respond to that word of the Lord, to obey it. But Jonah does the exact opposite. We see in verse three that Jonah rebels against the word of the Lord. We're going to talk about what he does. But before we talk about what he does, I want to think about why. We're not given any reason in verse 3. We just read, come to verse 3. But Jonah rose, which is the first part of what God told him to do. He rose, but he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah rose to rebel against God, to disobey God. Why? You might have heard teaching on Jonah before and heard about Jonah before. He's a familiar prophet and a familiar Bible story. And we might not have thought much about why would he run from the Lord? Why would he rebel against God? We could look at simple explanations. Maybe Jonah is just disobedient in his heart. Maybe he just doesn't want to do it because it's hard. Maybe he just would rather would rather enjoy life in Israel than go to a hard place. Maybe he's just being rebellious. But I think we ought to think a little bit deeper about this and think maybe there's some more complex reasons to why Jonah would run away from the word of the Lord, why he would rebel against God's word. One of the easy ones to think about just off the top of our head, maybe Jonah was in fear of leaving the land of promise to go to a foreign nation, which would be a lot like exile, right? The land of promise is where God's people experience his blessing. And Jonah is being called to leave that place and go into this foreign nation. Not only that, but he's called to go into the middle of it and cry out, repent. One commentator compared that to going into the middle of Nazi Germany and crying out, repent. See what will happen, right? It's a legitimate fear that Jonah might have. Might fear the danger from Nineveh and the hardship of exile. But not only that, maybe, maybe Jonah was discouraged. Think about the role of the prophets during this time. I just finished reading uh, through the 12, which Jonah is a part of. And in this time in Israel, these, these prophets are prophesying at the very end of the, the flow of Israel's history in the, in the monarchy period. When the kings ruled Israel and ruled Judah. And there were two kingdoms and they fought against each other and they fought within. And repeatedly, you would have a wicked king who forsakes the ways of the Lord who doesn't listen to God's word or his prophets and who sins greatly against the Lord by by raising up false worship in Israel. And then you'd have a king come along often in the southern kingdom who would maybe restore a little bit of right worship, someone like Hezekiah or Josiah. But then inevitably right after you'd have a king that would come along who did even more wickedness. So this, this is towards the end of God's Patience with Israel as he's bringing them into judgment and eventually exile from the promised land. And meanwhile, God called these prophets to come and to say, look, God is calling you to repent and to turn away from your wickedness and to trust him. And if you do, he will restore you. They brought a a, a word of hope. And yet over and over, they weren't listened to over and over. They were beat. They were beat. They were they were stoned. They were they were pushed out of town. Over and over, God's people showed stubborn disobedience. And it wouldn't be hard to imagine, I think, that Jonah might be discouraged by this. How could I go and speak to a foreign nation? How are they going to receive me? How is their king going to respond if I've been speaking to God's people and they continue to pursue hard-hearted sin? Why would I go, God? Why would I go and experience this kind of suffering if it's just not going to work? Jonah might have also been fearful for Israel. Often what happened with in this time period is God rebuked a foreign nation and then used that foreign nation to judge his people. And so Jonah might have had in the back of his mind, if I go and this works, then God is probably going to sick Nineveh on us. God is probably going to use Assyria to judge these disobedient kings in northern Israel. And I don't want that because that's going to lead to a ton of suffering. Talk about a depressing call from god and a depressing mission to be used to reconcile wicked people to god so that god would use those wicked people to judge his people like that would be really really discouraging and depressing and we could see why jonah might want to run from that ultimately jonah probably i think distrusted The reason for God sending him to Nineveh. He couldn't see a reason for why he should go to Nineveh. Whether it's one of those things or whether it's maybe it's because in Nahum, God had already prophesied through Nahum the downfall of Nineveh. Why would Jonah go and say it to their face and risk all of that? Why would he need to go to a place that God has already said he's going to wipe out? There's no good reason to go. And so Jonah distrusts the word of the Lord. And rebels against the word of the Lord. This rebellion that Jonah experienced leads him then to run from the Lord. We see that in verse 3. Jonah running from the presence of the Lord. We see Jonah running in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Look at verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We don't know much about Tarshish. But we know that it was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Because in order to get to Tarshish, Jonah went down to Joppa and caught a boat. And Nineveh, where Jonah was, Nineveh is landlocked on the other end of the little Middle East strip there that Jonah was in. Tarshish was off on some island, possibly. There's a map on the kids' sermon notes of where Tarshish could have been. It was the opposite direction. God told Jonah, go east, and Jonah went west. Ran away from the presence of the Lord. Not only that, but God told Jonah to arise. To go and proclaim to Nineveh. And notice what Jonah does. He does the opposite of going up towards heaven where God is. He goes down and down and down. Look at verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Look in verse 5. Not only that... But in verse 5, as the mariners are afraid because there's this great commotion on the sea, look what Jonah did. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. It says fast asleep in my ESV, but the the, the word there is is talking about like being, like we would say dead asleep. Like, Like wiped out completely, near death, because you are so fast asleep. Jonah is... Fleeing from the presence of the Lord and goes down, 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 down until he is dead asleep. Hoping, as I imagine some of us have hoped once in a while, that if we, if we go to sleep and we just ignore everything, maybe it'll all go away. It's not going to go away. Jonah runs from the presence of the Lord and whatever reason he had for running, we know that Jonah ran. This is because whatever reason we can come up with, whatever complex reason is behind it, the reality is that those who rebel against the Lord always run. Whatever reason is behind it, rebels always run. This is not just Jonah. This book is not just about a story about Jonah. It's also a story about God's people. Israel always runs. Think about Isaiah 30. During this time period, as Isaiah is prophesying to Israel... Israel is facing the reality of exile because of their sin and hard heartedness. And listen to what happens in Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30 verses 9 to 11. Or verses 8 to 11, let's say. Isaiah, uh, God tells Isaiah this. Now go write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people. Lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. In other words, because God's people were rebellious against him, they ran from his presence by telling the prophets who were meant to be the voice of God among them, Stop speaking don't tell us what god wants to you to tell us tell us sweet things Tell us things that are going to make us feel good make us feel happy They ran from the reality of the presence of the lord because of their rebellion It's not just israel that does this This isn't a new problem This is a problem that goes all the way back to adam and eve All the way back to adam and eve listen to genesis chapter 3 Verse eight, after Adam and Eve are convinced by Satan that their disobedience will lead to their happiness, they disobey God, they rebel against his word, and then they find that fear comes upon them. And this is what they do. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide themselves from God? It's because they had rebelled against him. Rebels always run. Rebels always try to hide from the presence of the Lord. This is true for Adam and Eve. It was true for Israel. True for Jonah. It's true for us. Rebels always run from the presence of the Lord. It's true. It's easy to see for those who do not... Follow Christ. Those who are not yet Christians, right? Romans 1 says that they suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness. What can be known about God is plain to them, but they don't see it because they hide from it. That's one way we run from the presence of the Lord as rebels. But I think even as Christians, we see in the example of Jonah and the example of God's people, even those who trust in God. Can find themselves rebellious and running. How does that happen? What does it look like? There's many examples we can think of, but a couple that come to mind. One is when we experience suffering. When we experience suffering in our life and we look at the circumstances surrounding it and we say, there is no good reason that this is happening to me. Because we would never think there's a good reason for us to suffer, right? We look at suffering and we say, there's no good reason this is happening to me. And therefore, it ought not to happen. And then we grumble against God. We grumble against God. And we blame God. And we run away from God. Because rebels run from the presence of the Lord. Right? Or... Sometimes we might look at our own life or the lives of others and be discouraged at how slow sanctification is. In other words, man, I am still struggling to overcome this sin that just seems to have a hold of me. Or often we look at someone else and say, man, they are still struggling to overcome that sin that has a hold of them. And then how do we respond to that? We don't respond as we ought But if it's our own sin, we hide it. We fail to obey James' command, which we talked about in Bible study on Wednesday. James' command to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. We hide our sin or we respond to the sin of others by running away from them, by isolating ourselves from them so that we're not hurt by their sin. We hide sin and we isolate ourselves. And in the process, we disobey the word of the Lord that calls us to bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. And then as rebels, we are fleeing from the presence of the Lord. There's complex reasons, many more that we can name, but the same result is always there. When you disobey the Lord, when you become a rebel against God, you are driven from his presence by your sin and rebellion. You flee from him because you don't want to be near the one who is holy. Reminded of your own lack of holiness. Reminded of your own sin. Rebels always flee. Rebels always run from God. That's what we see first. The reality, though, why this is a chase is not just because Jonah runs and God says, see you later. Rebels run from God, but God runs after rebels. That's what we see in the second half of our section for today in verses 4 through 6. God runs after rebels. He runs after rebels and chases them with everything that he has. The success of a chase depends on the resources that are available to the one pursuing, right? And God has everything. He runs after rebels with all of the strength of his being. And we see that here in verses 4 through 6. We see first that Jonah can't trick God. Because God knows everything. This is called his omniscience. He knows everything. Jonah can't trick him because he already knows what Jonah is going to do. He already knows that Jonah is going to run. We also see this because God already knows the evil of Nineveh. God's not just in Israel. God knows the evil of Nineveh because he sees it. He says in verse 2, their evil has come up before him and he's aware of it. We see even that Jonah, as he tries to hide in the belly of the ship, can't escape because God already knows he's there and sends this captain down to him to speak to him. Jonah can't trick God because God already knows what he's going to do. Every turn he's going to make, everything he does, God knows. Jonah can't get away from God and rest himself from God's presence because God is all-powerful. Notice what he does in verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. God pursues Jonah, runs after Jonah. And the way he does it is taking and hurling a great wind upon the sea. And causing the sea to roar and foam so much that the ship is going to break up. God has power over the wind and the waves. He is omnipotent. All-powerful. This is why Jonah can't get away. God is all-powerful. And he pursues Jonah with all of his power in such a way that even the pagan sailors take notice. Notice in verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. These are seasoned sailors. They're not unaccustomed to mighty winds and tempestuous seas. But these sailors, these hardened sailors, get so afraid that they're crying out to their gods, maybe one will save us. And they get so afraid that they're taking the precious cargo that they're already risking their lives for and they're tossing it overboard. They see something is up beyond just regular weather. They see that there's a chase going on and they're caught in the middle of it and they're fearful. Rightly so. Not only that, but the way the author of Jonah here writes this story, even the ship notices. In your ESV, or if you have a different translation, it might say something similar to the ESV. It says in verse 4, there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The the Hebrew in there, though, is personifying the ship, saying the ship thought to break up. Like the ship is actually aware of what's going on and saying you know what resistance is futile i'm gonna i I just got to break up because there's no choice god is too powerful that's what the author is trying to convey here even the ship notices that god is all powerful but jonah doesn't notice jonah's sleeping right god is pursuing though with all of his power all of his knowledge jonah can't trick god jonah can't get away Not only that, but Jonah can't hide from God. There is nowhere, even the belly of the ship, that Jonah can go because God is everywhere. We know from Scripture that God is omnipresent. All places. There is nowhere you can go where you do not find the presence of the Lord. Jonah tries to hide in the bottom of a ship in sleep, and he is unable to escape the presence of the Lord. Even in the middle of a stormy sea, even at the bottom of a boat. God runs after rebels like Jonah, and he catches them because he is all-powerful. He is all-present. He is all-knowing. God will always get his man, who he sets eyes on. Psalm 139, which we read part of during worship, talks in this way about God. Psalm 139, the first 12 verses. The psalmist writes this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He's all-knowing. You hem me in behind and before me. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take to the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even like Jonah. Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. There is nowhere. There is nowhere. that rebels can escape the presence of God. He already knows everything a rebel thinks to do. He already is more powerful than any device a rebel would try to use to escape him. And the reality is, we say God, you know, I say God runs after rebels, but the reality is he doesn't have to run because he's already there. There's nowhere to go to escape him. In the words of Johnny Cash, who I titled the sermon... After you can run on for a long time, you can run on for a long time, you can run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. That's the reality for anybody who would run as a rebel from God. What hope is there? If you can't get away, what hope is there? We see in the words of a Gentile sailor, the hope for you and for me and for Jonah. Jonah. God provides this answer in verse 6. The captain comes and says to him this. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Arise, call out to God. Perhaps he will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The sailor, the captain thinks the problem is that Jonah's God maybe isn't paying attention and maybe isn't doing his part to calm the seas and deliver them from this storm. He speaks better than he knows, even though he's confused about what God really is. He says, arise, call out to your God. Jonah, on the other hand, knows that the problem isn't that God is not paying attention. For Jonah, the problem is that God is paying too much attention. He doesn't want to call out to his God. He doesn't want his God to think about him. He wants his God to leave him alone and let him sleep. But God won't do either of those things. What's needed, what the sailor calls for, even though he doesn't know it, is the merciful attention of God. See, the reality is that rebels always run from God and God pursues rebels. But this is good news because God runs after rebels to show mercy. God runs to show mercy. See, rebels against God, like Adam and Eve, are traitors. And traitors deserve what's coming to them. Traitors deserve judgment, right? Traitors, we even see in the scriptures, deserve death. Traitors against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords deserve judgment. And we know from scripture that God will judge justly. He will not acquit the wicked. Exodus 34, when he reveals his name, he says that he will punish the rebellious. But judgment, punishment is not at the heart of God. I I, I heard someone tell me recently that when they hear God in the garden of Eden, calling out to Adam and Eve as they're hiding from his presence, saying, where are you? What it feels to them is that God is like a father with a belt, running around and saying, where are you? I'm going to get you. That's what we often feel like God is like when he pursues with his judgment. But guys, judgment is not at the heart of God. At the heart of God is mercy, steadfast love and faithfulness. God's heart is bent towards mercy. Listen to Ezekiel 33. In the middle of horrifying disobedience. In the middle of horrifying disobedience, as God says his people are acting like prostitutes who don't get paid, but who pay others. God says this to his people through the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 33, verses 10 to 11. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? That's the response to everybody who knows their rebelliousness and comes to grips with the fact that God runs after rebels and sooner or later he's going to cut you down. We know our transgressions and our sins. We rot away because of them. How then can we live? Listen to what God says, tells Ezekiel to tell them, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That's the cry constantly of the prophets. Why will you die, O rebel? Why will you not turn from your rebellious ways and live? God pursues with judgment to show mercy. Why will you not turn and receive mercy? Or Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. In the middle of the siege of Israel, or siege of Jerusalem, excuse me, when God has brought all of the curses of his covenant upon his people, they're reassured with these words from Lamentations chapter 3, verses Thirty one to thirty three. The Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Why? For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. Those are precious words to us. Friends, God does not afflict from his heart. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. He does not run after you so that he can find you and beat you with a belt. He runs after you so that he can find you and show you mercy. God runs to show mercy. He is like the father of the prodigal son who runs after his son with joy when he returns to him, who celebrates and throws a feast. God proved this kind of mercy, that this is his character in his son, Jesus. Right? John chapter 3. Very familiar to us. John 3. 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. God runs after rebels to show mercy. This means that the judgment that God brings in running after rebels is merciful judgment. God hurling the wind on the sea and causing it to roar in a way that almost caused the boat to break up. Was not God trying to beat Jonah. It was God bringing judgment In order to awaken the sailors to cry out, and then the captain to go down into the belly of the ship to cry out to Jonah, who was dead asleep, and say, Jonah, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps he will be merciful. God is pursuing Jonah with merciful judgment in order that he might repent of his rebelliousness and be restored. God pursues Jonah this way, but not just Jonah in this book. All through this book, we see God pursuing the nations with judgment for the sake of mercy. We see it with these sailors. We'll see next week how they respond to this judgment brought upon them because of the sins of Jonah. And then as we go through this book, we'll see how Nineveh responds to judgment brought to them. Judgment that's full of mercy. This is the message of Jonah as we go through that God pursues his people with merciful judgment in order to save them from their rebellion. God pursues his people with merciful judgment in order to save them from their rebellion. We'll see all through this little book that God does this over and over again. And that ultimately it means that salvation itself belongs to the Lord, that he is the one who brings salvation to his people. This is important in the book of Jonah for his story. It's important for the people of Israel because this book is given to them during a time when they're being driven out of the land of promise in judgment into exile. And the question in their mind is, is God still faithful? Is he keeping his promises? Will he again be merciful? How can he be merciful if he's judging? And this book shows that God pursues his people, even his people Israel. With judgment for the sake of mercy. In order to save them. Through Israel's exile. God is pursuing the nations. Even for mercy. And we'll see that over and over in this book. The reality is friends. That God pursues us. And that God will catch us. This is bad news. God running after rebels. Is bad news. For those who refuse to turn from their rebellion. The presence of God, the judgment of God, judgment from God is that you will always have to be in his presence. And if you are rebelling and sinning against God, denying his holiness, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, all of those kind of things. If you are doing that, walking away from God in rebellion and persist, then his presence will be a curse to you forever. It's bad news that God catches rebels That you cannot escape if you stay a rebel. But if you repent and turn and trust in God and respond to his merciful judgment. Then the fact that God pursues you and you can't get away is good news. This is good news this morning to you and I that God runs after rebels and you cannot escape. It's good news because there's no sin that's so heinous that you can't confess and find forgiveness There's no sin so heinous that you have to hide it, because guess what? God already knows, right? The scriptures tell us that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. There is nothing about you and me that God doesn't already know. And there's no reason to remain in rebellion and stubbornness of sin. There's every reason to confess, to turn to Yahweh, to stop trying to hide from him. This means that there's no chasm too wide or no wall too high there's nothing between you and god stopping you from coming to him that his mighty power cannot overcome there's nothing stopping you from coming to him that his power cannot overcome because jesus in the incarnation broke down every barrier between you and god everything that would stop you from coming to him god's mighty power in christ resting on him in the incarnation In the person of Jesus, broke down all those walls. Ephesians talks about Christ breaking down even the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile and making one new person. Christ has made you and I new creations, which means we can come to God as this new creation and we can find a father who welcomes us with open arms. The reality that you can't escape God is good news because there's no place that you can go or find yourself. No place of rebellion that is too far from him. That is too far to turn and to trust in Jesus. There's no place that's too far for him to find you. Jesus himself came to rescue all the lost ones. To gather in his sheep. To leave the 99. To come after the one who found themselves straying and lost. Because they ran away. Jesus himself came to gather all of those. So friends arise and call out. To the Lord and perhaps he will take thought of you. We have an even better hope though than perhaps, don't we? In Jesus, we know that God will indeed respond to those who cry out to him. I want to close this morning with the words of Paul. To Timothy at the beginning. Of first Timothy. Arise and call out to God because we know this is true. This is what Paul wrote. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Friends, we don't have to think perhaps God will take notice of us. We know arise and call out to him and he will respond to him be the glory to the King of kings, the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you do not leave us as rebels to run, but that you run after us. That you pursue us and have promised to continue bringing your rebellious people back to you, God. That is good news for all those who delight in Christ. I pray that that would fall on, on our ears this morning as good news. That that would be a comfort to us, knowing that even as we are prone to wonder, even as we feel that in our in our souls, Lord, you are faithful. To come after us. That you are merciful. To come after us. Lord I pray that we would. Respond to your. Just mercy. With faith. And that we would find. Happiness knowing that goodness and mercy. Will follow us all the days of our life. And that one day we will dwell. In the presence of the Lord Almighty forever. And ever. Would you do these things in Jesus' name? Amen.